We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is, what is the date, Thursday, June 5th, and I know, um, I, I was like so proud of our station for playing George Floyd. It's Floyd's. actually the 4th. Is it the 4th? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, the 4th, but for playing the service, because Stephanie and I were going to go. Oh. They had a media, you know, you mm-hmm. could go, and I we thought, should we go? And we thought, yes, we should go. And I had Julia's dyslexic eyes for a second, and I thought it was from 11 to 1. Not one to three. And then I was like, one to three. I'm not going to be able to do that. But I, I'm glad you guys played that. And Stephanie and I listened. You listened on the radio. And then yeah. we listened on just live streamed. Yeah. Everywhere. So, you know, what was George Floyd had a really amazing funeral memorial service. Because the one sign of when people complete strangers you feel like you know somebody when you go to a service and people can get up and tell stories and make you feel the love they had you know but be able to say it without breaking down or telling an endless story that doesn't go anywhere you know and it's just kind of pain but everyone was just like you were like my gosh i feel like i knew george i knew big floyd i knew perry i mean they were i wanted his one of his hugs i wanted to eat a banana and mayonnaise sandwich oh my gosh i mean that so i mean i I, i'm sure his family i i hope it was a um as they say to people and i've said it that was a beautiful service yeah it really was have you ever given an eulogy? Stood up? Yes, actually, at my sister's funeral. And I was little. I was in the sixth grade. Oh, my gosh. And uh, we all went up and spoke. I don't really remember what I said. Right. I just remember doing it. Were you afraid or were you... I don't in remember. A, in a, just a... That you were whole, so young, sixth grade. It, it, there was... It was like, I think, a week's worth of time where things just got all jumbled from a time standpoint. And your sister was how old? 18. 18. So that's a whole... She was 18. I was 12. What, that's that's just a, a, a tragic funeral like George mm-hmm. Floyd's, you know, where it's just like people are in disbelief. Holly, have you ever given a eulogy? I have not. Is it one of your fears? Or, I mean, it seems... I have only had to do one once and it was absolutely... Terrifying. I don't think a, a fear would be the no. accurate word for that, but mm-hmm. you know, it the it has not been a thing in my life yeah. at this point where I have had to step up. But knowing that you know, 
it's in the a, cycle of life, you will be asked. Yes. Can I? There's another mm-hmm. totally weird aspect yeah. to this. And I think I thought about this when I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And that was at that time in my life, I was 42. What would people say about me mm-hmm. at a eulogy? Mm-hmm. And and did I live a life that when people would be reflecting on it in that setting mm-hmm. that I was proud of? I right. thought a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah, you do when you get the big C like that. Yep. <laughs> And yeah, and I you mean, know, you got yeah. it when you were 20, 24, 24. But Stephanie, I just was having, I thought, well, if anything bad happens to me, there's going to have to be a, a, an ABC movie of the week about me. This is, <laughs> I was already dreaming big then at 24. I was just like, ah, that would just be totally tragic. So, I mean, I was, it didn't seem real at, sure. at 24. You don't have the same appreciation or you're too young yeah you're to too have... you're too young it's that's it works for you and against you sure but, you know so um but yeah that is interesting that you say that because you know what would people say and how would you be remembered and it's a real it is a real testament to your life when you have people that can just get up and make you feel love for someone that you barely knew you kind of knew you didn't know at all or you knew really well i keep thinking about what his six-year-old daughter said on good morning america yesterday the clip we played where she said my daddy's going to change the world yeah my daddy changed the world and he is he did Mm -hmm. he Mm -hmm. will i know it that that really is amazing then i just thought you know of course had to play amazing grace to open the show today and of course i did my little you know, okay, just re-educate myself about Amazing Grace. So it is considered the one I can't, one of the most recognizable songs in the English-speaking world, for sure. And um, it's estimated, um, it is for sure the most famous of all folk hymns, and it is, um, they estimate that it's sung 10 million times or more annually every year. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. I know. I'm probably happy birthday has more, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just is something that you can hear at any service or in many other ways. And it was written just FYI. It was a Christian hymn written in 1779. That's how long ago that song wow. was. Wow. And yeah. that we're still singing it. Yeah. And Amazing Grace became. Newly popular during a revival of folk music in the U.S. during the 60s. And it's been recorded thousands and thousands of times. If yeah. you go online and and uh, see the number of people who've sung that song, and I thought we should have Aretha's version of it. And then um, I remember when Jennifer Hudson sang that at Aretha's funeral. And then Aretha Franklin performed that at the Kennedy Center Honors when Obama was still president. And she came out in her first stole. Yes. Oh, my gosh. She and always had style. Style. And her voice was so, anyway, so angelic. But there have really been so many um, uh, renditions of that song. And if you've never seen the Aretha Franklin uh, documentary, it's called The Amazing Grace. That was, that's, I have not seen it. See, you've given me such good things to watch this well, week you know what i'm you know where i watch a lot of documentary you guys airplanes oh yeah i do too actually mm-hmm. 
Because I can't like get into a movie, and most of them you've already seen. Or yeah, or it's too long, and you're like, oh, it's hour and a half. But I've watched a lot of fashion and music. I watched that Amy Winehouse documentary on the plane. The Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh-huh. Anyway, I hope George Floyd's family, at, you know, found peace with this their service today. And There's two more. Oh, they've yeah, they're That's in hard. Yeah, or or you know, it might be of comfort too in a weird way. You know, it's it, we can't. I, I can't imagine because I just remember the few funerals of like my grandparents or whatever. And there is, you are exhausted afterwards. That I remember, and my stepdad too. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just, the family seems like they are really close. That was the impression that I got. Tight family. I liked the stories about. Them being poor, but being loved uh-huh. and them talking about washing their clothes in the sink and fighting about putting them so on the radiator funny. to get them that's dry. What, that's what I mean. I mean, uh-huh. that's just me. The humanizing pieces of. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, this is just uh, this is probably going to be happening uh, as we're coming up. You know, it's Pride Month, but L.A. Pride announced yesterday that um they are going to do the parade is June 14th and it's they're just going to do a solidarity protest march against police brutality instead of the focus on, you know, gay pride. Or What's whatever. interesting is and so I feel like we're going to see more of pride doing that, that they're going to be standing up. Um, well, and a lot of pride like events were canceled and they were doing virtual, virtual prides. Interviews. So I wonder if people will march. Yeah, I I probably put their masks on and put their masks on and while it won't be, you know, like the big 4-hour parade that we usually have, but I wouldn't be surprised to see uh more uh pride parades and and celebrations to be to highlight, you know, racial injustice and racial you know, systemic racism and any kinds of oppression. I Which just, and that was I, part of the pride movement was that's exactly right yeah yeah so all right listen we're going to go because we are um, going to be talking with Shelly Schaefer there was kind of a um, amazing story it was in uh, bring me the news yesterday and a girlfriend of mine said you should really read this but it was just like it was titled break the cycle five changes in Minnesota policing that can be enacted right now and they had five different people write about each of these five points and Shelly Schaefer um, is the chair of criminal justice at Hamlin University. So we're going to talk to her. Sure. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us on this Thursday. Um, I'm delighted. Uh, and thank you to my friend Kelly, who alerted me to this great story that was on um, the Community Voices section of Bring Me the News. And it was called Break the Cycle, Five Changes in Minnesota Policing that can be act- enacted right now. And um, Shelly Schaefer is joining us joining us and she's chair uh, of criminal justice at Hamlin University and I know you're a teacher there you're a peace officer do we have that right um I'm not a peace officer okay. I oh. am um I knew I'd get that wrong peace... <laughs> I'm the professional peace officer education coordinator okay. at Hamlin so myself I've not um had a career in law enforcement. I've had a career within the criminal justice system before becoming a faculty member. So um, 
Okay. Yeah, so that's just the distinction there. See, since we just met yesterday on the phone, I should have just had you introduce yourself, Shelly. I was doing so well up until then. <laughs> but I, we did want to talk to you because that was um, that's really what got um, my attention in reading the story and is having it specifically broken out about these five immediate changes that could be made in policing here in the state of Minnesota that could be enacted right now if you wouldn't mind giving me the one the the i think you did you write um change the use of force statue in minnesota was so that- oh sorry yeah so actually um even though our pictures sort of look like they align with certain um recommendations as a collective my colleagues and i Gina Erickson, Sarah Greenman, and uh, Jillian Peterson wrote the entire op-ed. Okay. And so we all sort of contributed in different areas that we probably have a little more um, expertise. So I would say, you know, something that I could comment on would be sort of officer training um, and education, because as the professional peace officer coordinator at Hamlin, um, I am tasked with making sure that um, students who come to Hamlin who wish to go into law enforcement, um, that our curriculum is meeting the learning objectives that are put forth by the post board. And so there are 410 learning objectives that the post board mandates that um, PPOE schools, so for short, I'll call, uh, I'll call the Professional Peace Officer Education PPOE, um, that they mandate that both the PPOE schools and skills providers have to cover these 410 um, learning objectives. So um, in the op-ed, what we were suggesting um, in evaluation of both officer training and then the post board was that there isn't, you know, a lot of oversight into how those learning objectives are deployed across the institutions that are accredited to teach them. Um, and sort of our questions are really thinking about, you know, there's not really a standardization. Right. So if you could imagine you have 30 different schools, 10 skills providers um, that are teaching these 410 learning objectives, but they're all teaching, you know, this is just a learning objective. There's not a curriculum necessarily that is tied to that. So right. the length of time spent on any certain learning objective could vary greatly across schools um, and skills providers. And so that's where we're really calling for this independent evaluation and oversight of that to get a better understanding of, you know, who's doing the training, mm-hmm. how, you know, how, what's the assessment, what's the evaluation. Right. And then I also, uh, you uh, wrote about, um, you know, establishing a critical incident review board for like specific cases or for, I mean, that's surprising uh, that they don't. They, they, I, know, I thought that shocking. there was like a citizen review board or a council. Does that not exist? So there is a citizen review board and I believe. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Now in Minneapolis, it has, has, a, has a different title. Mm-hmm. But I think what our recommendation was trying to suggest is a critical incident review board is different than maybe a citizen review board in the mm-hmm. sense that a citizen review board might be looking to seek fault right. where a critical incident review board is really trying to pull in many system providers and to look at an unbiased look at a particular case, a particular inst- instance, and then make re- recommendations system wide. Interesting. Yeah. Um, to create best practices and, or something. Right. So it's a little bit, it's a different sort of, I think model than what is currently established, um, especially for maybe redu- reviewing police incidents. And right. reduction especially of harm. Reports. You'd think that if that existed in some of these cases in Minnesota in particular in the Minneapolis force, what those outcomes maybe could have been. Right. And I think um, my colleague, Sarah Greenman, um, is on the domestic fatality review team. And um, from my understanding, it's really to learn you know, in cases, um, you know, in cases where there's a fatality um, from domestic violence, what can we learn? What can we do different next time from a system-wide perspective? Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's almost an autopsy of that case, and we and we need to learn and make recommendations. And so that's different than reviewing for fault. Mm-hmm. And I think that was um, why we were making that suggestion. What is the uh, thing? How do you get thing the change where you have... Um... Things like uh, a traffic stop or someone being accused of using counterfeit money, that that nonviolent things, why are such aggressive tactics even part of the situation? How do you get that changed? Well, I think, you know, speaking, I think part of it is we do authorize use of force to Mm -hmm. police by statute. And, you know, it's authorized to be used when making a lawful arrest. I think what one of the things to examine is, you know, the judgment of the reasonableness of the amount of force is based on that objective reasonableness of the officer at the time. And model policies that we have would say you should be looking at the severity of the crime. Mm-hmm. We want to be looking at, you know, the, the amount of force, not whether or not you can use force, it's the amount of force, you know, does the suspect pose an immediate threat? Right. Um, is is a suspect actively resisting or attempting to evade arrest. Um, and so I think, you know, thinking about in those situations for a counterfeit dollar, counterfeit money in that case, you know, they have the authorization to use force because there was a lawful arrest happening. Yeah. I think it's the reasonableness based on that objectiveness of the officer at the time. Do you feel um, hopeful, Shelley, that that real change can happen in, in as far as reexamining, you know, how this is done because, uh, you know, I feel like, uh, we, there were like changes that were going to be made after Philando Castile. And I don't think that, I think it was like put in a report and left to collect dust. <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of us. And as a social scientist, I think, you know, 
we have been aware of the disparities, especially Mm -hmm. in the disparities in our criminal justice system across from, you know, you think of police to prosecution to corrections and then reentry, right? right? For many people who've been incarcerated trying to um, reenter society. I think that there is a level of frustration about how slow it is to change, but I think we are committed to being part as social scientists to, you know, analyze, use data um, to make recommendations. Yeah. And, you know, to the point that you made about the $12 million um, after uh, Castillo was uh, killed, mm-hmm. you know, that is one of the areas also that we have called to evaluate because it was $12 million um, of funding that was to go towards three specific training areas for in-service training. So that would be someone who is already, you know, sworn peace officer and currently working. And it was crisis intervention and mental illness, um, conflict management, mediation, and implicit implicit bias, community diversity, and cultural differences. And so our call was, you know, has there been an independent evaluation of the use of those funds? Okay, you got it. Can you hold that thought, Shelly? Because we need to go back. We'll come back to you. And so you can just explain that again. And we'll just, and then we also have one other thing that we hope that you can explain to us from a criminal justice standpoint. We'll be right back. We are having a conversation with Shelly Schaefer, who's the chair of criminal justice at Hamlin. And I'm not going to say all the other things that you're in charge of, Shelly, because we don't have time for that. But I do want sure. you to go back to, um, you know, one of the things that happened as a result of Philando Castile's uh, death uh, by the officer, the money that was going for training to try and change uh, mm-hmm. what was happening. Yeah, so there there was $12 million that was dedicated to training in specific, three specific areas. And, um, you know, one of the things that we in our op-ed, um, uh, you know, suggested is that, you know, where has there been an independent evaluation of these funds or an assessment on their impact? And, in fact, who's doing the training? I mm-hmm. mean, if we do know that the Post Board um, approves training for online, like national online um Entity. So, for instance, you could do all of your post training from an online entity in Texas. And I think we're calling upon, you know, the post board to suggest if you really want to train on implicit bias or community diversity, there are leaders, experts within our local communities that should be, you know, yeah, that's doing that crazy. They need to re-examine that post board. That sounds like they got some. Uh, they got a lot of. Like a, what do you call it? Blue tape, red ribbon, or whatever you want to call it. It just doesn't make sense. And that is one of our suggestions also, is to, to re-examine that post board. I mean, re-examine the seats, you know, who is at, who the post board is 15 members. Ten of those are held by law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and to really start looking at those things. And, and you know, a lot of it is calling for independent evaluations. And, you know, when you legislate funding, then you should also have certain amount of funding to go to independently evaluate and understand where that training's happening. Um, you know, what are the evaluations and, and the assessments? Do you know if that, if any of this stuff is being looked at with a serious eye by, I don't know if it would be the governor or the mayor of Minneapolis or the police chief, or, you know, I, I don't know, but do you know? Well, we have, I mean, as a department, we have communicated with the director of the post board. We have communicated 
um, with um, the policy advisor to the lieutenant governor. And mm-hmm. we do, as a department, have um, a meeting scheduled next week oh. with the post board to start making some suggestions about, you know, research and how as social scientists um, we can start to begin to evaluate, um, you know, some of this information. But, you know, data is, you know, I wanted to just, if I could have one last yeah. thing to say, I know that yesterday, um, I believe Carol Evans um, showed some of the da- Minneapolis police has a dashboard that draws upon their police information management system data about um, use of force cases. So mm-hmm. we, you know, learning from that information that 20% of Minneapolis residents report being black, but 60% of the use of force incidents are against a black individual. But that's a, you know, huge disparity. But keep yeah. in mind, many, not all use of force incidents even have to be reported by an officer into that police management system. Wow. So it's probably so way higher. If you, <laughs> so it's a tip of the iceberg. Right? Yeah. So I think they're, you know, drawing your gun or pointing a gun at a suspect, according to the Minneapolis police policies, would not require you to provide an incident report. That's terrible. Or notify a supervisor. So, you you know, I think there's trauma. It's yeah. not just physical trauma. It's the trauma to these communities. Right. Yeah. Wow. That, that's just mm-hmm. really shocking. Well, I, I and I also think that, um, you know, the public information function of the Minneapolis Police Department seems like that needs to be reformed as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know if that... I think there's a lot of transparency yeah. that that through these um, reforms that I think is definitely some of what our suggestions are. But I also think just having these conversations, you know, calling me and having me on the air is also, you know, I think part of conversations that are starting to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, calling upon citizens and community members, and a lot of community members have been fighting for a long time to have their voices heard, but you know, for all of us to start having these conversations. Right. And, and, you know, and there are, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm just speculating just from the fact that I have a a brother-in-law who's a police officer, but um, there are a lot of very good police officers that have good intent and take their duties seriously. I don't know what kind of, uh, you know, effects it has to, to have that job, the stresses of it. But also, you know, it seems like there's been a cone of silence sort of around some of this because of the whatever it might be, the machismo, whatever the, you know, the unwritten rules of the the clubhouse, if you will, or the, you know what I'm saying? That that's mm-hmm. been, that's such a part of all of this too. Right. And I just and wonder I, about yeah. that stress and our people or, or, you know, how stressed out are police officers about that? It's got to be hard. I mean, right. I mean, there's definitely in, you know, uh, recommendations about officer wellness. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, we also recognize that that also has to be part of uh, solutions. I also think there the, the sort of oversight of discipline of sort of those officers that we know mm-hmm. have had use of force incidents against them. You know, I think there has to be better transparency, um, especially for revocate for revocation of licensure. So for the post board to revoke your license, it would have to be based on a criminal conviction. So we know that that's a much higher standard than just a policy infraction. And so, you know, if you see these officers that over time have these, you know, policy violations, how are they able to still hold their license? 
And I think that's also a push for us is to think about we need to enact the post board or another body to be able to think about revoking license for these egregious policy violations. Well, I, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, that was in Bring Me the News. I mean, I do like their community voices, and that, that was really a just a spot-on story. It just made it seem like, okay, like this seems like they could get it done if there's a big enough outcry and we've got the right people behind it that real change, because it does have to happen in that direction. And then it also has to happen, we can't say it enough, voting and starting at a local level and all the way up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Shelly, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for uh, allowing me to share some of our thoughts with yeah. you today. Yeah. Yeah. Done a, a lot of work. Thank you very much. All right. Listen, um, uh, we're going to say goodbye to Shelly and we're going to go on to, you know, there has been a lot of people getting called out for a lot of things. But this headline, when I read it today, I thought, I'm so glad Stephanie Hansen is here. Is it Alicia Silverstone bathing with her nine-year-old? No, oh, it is not Alicia. That was yesterday. <laughs> that was yesterday. Okay. I knew you could shed light on that. A Holy Land CEO fired his daughter for racism. And yes. then the Hitler tweets surfaced from, I guess, his daughter. Yes. What? is a horrible, horrible story. That The dad... I mean, I'm like we talked about this yesterday. People are not messing around with, with. Um, if you are someone that thinks your jokes on social media are funny, of the I've seen um, the kids taking a knee on other people's necks. Have you seen those? The kids. Oh no. Yeah, there's also the oh, no. semi truck with the you know fake blood on the front. Oh my gosh! If you are somebody, well, who I thinks, know someone who got fired for saying that yeah. they were going to plow into protesters on her personal Facebook. People Bam. need to check themselves and really. I, I hate to be like that person, but honestly, some of this stuff, I'm like, really, I this Holy Land situation is because so, I love their food. He he's a dad. His daughter's, who was in her 20s, her um, tweets, her social media profile was incredibly racist, horrid. Has it been that way for a long time? She says in the acknowledgement that it was when she was younger and didn't know better. But there's quite a bit there. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it's for like two reasons. One, it's horrible. Right. Two, I look at it from like the standpoint of being a business owner right. and what this does to an, uh, a company when this is your employee and people are so offended that that while well, you say you don't stand for that as a business, people wonder. Then the horrible piece is it's your daughter. Oh, my God. And where does that come from? Well, he fired her. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Giving is going to be awkward as is the 4th of July. And all all preceding holidays. Well, I mean, I feel for them. I feel for as a family. I feel for them as a business owner. Yeah. I I don't know if this woman, young woman, is just a complete. She was a teenager. She said, "Still, still, yeah, I was a teenager once." The kind of stuff she's tweeting about and talking about is, it's it's Hitler racist. It is beyond beyond beyond. It's not acceptable. She, yeah, she expressed a lot of hatred for anyone who was black, Jewish, gay, fat, and very pro-Hitler. Yeah, pretty much anything is on she was not for. You guys, can you scrub that? 
Or no. No. Once you've done that, your history is out there forever. Holly, is uh, that true? Well, I think that you can delete tweets. Right. You know, but, but she someone... had, but she, had, but what I'm assuming, because I don't know for sure, is that those were out there, uh, whether she understood that or not, you, you know, you could be proactive about deleting your social media, but it doesn't seem like that was the case. Here's with- the- Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thing. Yesterday, someone had something completely stupid on their page. I snapped it, sent it to a mutual friend of ours and said, um, you may want to talk to your friend and talk to them about their racist stuff on their Facebook page. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'll call them. She called them. The person took the stuff down. And then later on, I said, just so you know, like, here's all of the snaps I have from your page. You know, it would really be great if you could take this time to examine why you feel these thoughts and Mm -hmm. do some inner soul searching Mm -hmm. because this stuff is real easy to track. Right. Mm -hmm. It must be the easiest thing in the world now to be in charge of hiring at companies. I know someone on Twitter right now that I personally know that they feel it is their mission to find your racist stuff and then call your HR companies and report you. Yeah. I know there are people that are doing that right now. And it is the easiest way for people to not hire you by just doing that search. Because if you are in a company and you are interacting with anyone, you know, like uh, my sister works at a law firm. There are lots of people in the law firm. They don't all have the same political beliefs. They don't have the same beliefs. That's fine. Yeah. But you have to be a human being and have a sense of humanity with your beliefs, you can't your be threatening, real name. you can't be creepy. With your real name. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you, you know, that's what I'm, I mean, that is the thing because it's, it's so easy for people to find out really, you know, or at least make a judgment of who you are Ooh. because it's hard. A I lot don't of, even think people are hiding their, yeah, maybe their, they're not. I don't think people are hiding their weirdness. I don't think people are hiding their racism. I don't think people are well, hiding their sexism. I think it's all out there. And then they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend anybody. Well, come on. Yeah. And I'm not the police here. You yeah, know? know, I'm just know. saying, look Listen, inward. People are apologizing right and left in the sports world, in the fashion world, in the entertainment and world. And it's probably are... going to be us next, Lori, because people make mistakes and people are human. But just I get in touch with you your humanity. You, neither of us have ever tweeted or Instagram any kind of racial I don't yes. know. I haven't, but I no, don't we, love our Cheeto in chief, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know, but that isn't, you know, that isn't, the, that's not the same thing. I mean, you're not wishing harm. You're not no, wishing violence. Not every and, day. No, but I mean, you wouldn't put that no, out there. I wouldn't. So that's, that's all. Okay. I might say Melania looks like a fembot, but <laughs> other than that. Okay. Listen, when we come back, oh my gosh. Well, we've got two things. We've got a very poignant audio from one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Duchess Meghan Markle. Oh, boy. 
Bill Withers, of course, singing Lean On Me, a song uh, that he wrote recorded um, in 1972. He wrote it about after he moved to L.A. and he found himself missing his little coal mining town of Slab Fork, West Virginia. And last night, protesters who were peacefully marching, saying that at least the two cities I caught were um, outside of the White House and then at another protest in D.C., they... Somebody just started singing the song, and they were just doing the chorus. Didn't he just die recently, yes, too? Yes, he died, like, in April. I don't know if the COVID got him or not. I can't remember. Look, I can't remember, so, but... That okay, COVID. So, the COVID. So over the COVID, I know, the Rona, we, the... I know. Um, so yesterday, remember I told you that uh, the Daily Mail tried to make it a story Duchess Meghan and Prince Harry should be talking about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter into a thing, like... She doesn't live there anymore. Stop policing what she does, Daily Mail. But anyway, you know, they were trying to make a thing. And I'm like, she doesn't need to say anything about this. Uh, She has been literally one of the most racially abused women in the world for four years. I say that because I just think that... I'm nodding in agreement, just for the record. I just feel like the the British tabloid, they were so... Like, they loved her for... for a month, right, the wedding. Okay, just mm-hmm. that one month. Because they didn't like her when they first, remember when he first said they were dating, Prince Harry had to issue a thing, a pleading letter. Yes, to please leave papers, her alone. Please leave her alone. You're racist. It's just too much. And um, anyway, so anyway, the Daily Mail and the Sun and the Mirror, they were trying to, they were just going with stories with Twitter people clutching their royal pearls saying, why isn't Megan, you know, the most racially abused woman in the world on a public level um, speaking up? Well, she did make a video, but it was a graduation vid- video for um, her high school alma mater. And so we've got this story from the Today Show. What is happening in our country has been absolutely devastating. In a new video released overnight, Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, speaking for the first time about the death of George Floyd. The video given first as an exclusive to Essence magazine. I wanted to say the right thing. Markle delivering a virtual commencement speech to graduates at her alma mater, Immaculate Heart High School in Los Angeles. And I realized The only wrong thing to say is to say nothing because George Floyd's life mattered and Breonna Taylor's life mattered and Philando Castile's life mattered and Tamir Rice's life mattered. And so did so many other people whose names we know and whose names we do not know. Stephon Clark, his life mattered sharing memories about her own upbringing growing up in Los Angeles. I was 11 or 12 years old, and um, it was the L.A. riots, which was also triggered by a senseless act of racism. Those memories don't go away. It comes as a clip of Markle from 2012 resurfaced this week, showing her speaking candidly about her experiences as a biracial woman in America. Your race is part of what defines you. Markle now challenging the class of 2020 to bring change to the world they're living in now. With as diverse and vibrant and open-minded as I know the teachings at Immaculate Heart are, 
I know you know that black lives matter. So I am already excited for what you are going to do in the world. She's so eloquent. She really is. She's experienced a lot. She's, you know, and I've was, got the feels about the monarchy and the and traditions. And we didn't even play the beginning where she kind of was, uh, her voice, she just said, you know, that she was afraid. I'm, I was afraid to say anything. Um, I think a lot of people are feeling afraid to say anything. Afraid to say the wrong thing. Afraid to be calling out the the right thing. Here's what I want to say that I want people to hear from me personally, because I have been someone that has been afraid to say something, even though I look like I wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. I just have to like look inward for myself and try to manage myself. And by doing that and by being kind and by questioning when someone's saying something that seems weird or asking them what they mean mm-hmm. or probing and really trying hard to listen I think sometimes you get to the other side of that and you realize, yeah, that is people are being unkind or they're being cruel or they don't realize that that's how their words are being taken. So instead of being afraid, be authentic, be yourself, come at it from a point of trying to understand and be open. You're not going to change the world overnight. Yeah. But by participating in the conversation, by having the dialogue even if you say something wrong or you say something that's incorrect, you said something. And and she, in her referencing to that she was scared to because this was a graduation commencement speech. And she knows, I mean, just yesterday she was being attacked because she was and she'll damned be if she does yes. and damned if she yes. doesn't kind of a thing. But she was, she was, I, I felt it was very relatable oh, because yeah. for the 17, 18 year old audience. The kids coming kids, into the world right now, this is the new landscape. They, this is what we're going to be yeah, changing. Yeah. So I, I think that, I, I just think she's something else. I love that she gave the exclusive to Essence. That That's yep. really great. And um, anyway, we'll be back kids. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or mac and cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands, like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.